This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. On this episode of Plant Killers, we'll explore one nation's most notorious fruit and vegetable killer, bad dirt. What makes bad dirt so bad? The answer, the ingredients. But fear not, true crime enthusiasts. This story has a happy ending. New miracle Grow organic raised bed in garden soil. It's made with quality organic ingredients from upcycled green waste like compost and aged bark. Unlike the other guys who can't say the same. Looks like bad dirt's murdering days are over. Thanks to miracle Grow. Join us next time on Plant Killers. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, is a man who drinks apple juice because OJ will kill you. He is the captain. It also unclogs your pipes. It's good to be seen, and it's good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. This week in the fridge, we have an interesting one. This is called Shadows of Their Eyes. This is a dark, sour beer aged in oak barrels. This gem is by the Rare Barrel Microbrewery. And for those of you scoring at home, this is batch number 18, garage grade, four out of five bottle caps. And today we are giving thanks to these gems right here. First up, a big barrel cheers to Sarah in Vadnass Heights, Minnesota. And a big shout out to Stephanie in Berlin, Germany. Next up, we have Marty in Pflugerville, Texas. Old Pflugerville, Snoogerville. <laughs> a big shout out to Hope in West Dundee, Illinois. And we have Rachel in Knoxville, Tennessee. And last but certainly not least, we have Big Nick in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Big Nick says it's good to hear you and it's good to be heard. So, a little tip of the cap to the captain there. Uh, Word to the wise, though, Mm -hmm. I'm known as Big Nick in the garage here, so we'll we'll limit it to just one, right? All right. If you'd like to donate to the Beer Fund, we want to thank everybody for donating to the Beer Fund. We are currently behind, but if you'd like to donate, go to truecrimegarage.com and click on the Donate banner. We are behind. It would be weird if we were ahead. Mm -hmm. Then we're just making names up. So thanks, everybody, for contributing to this week's Beer Fund. You can do that at truecrimegarage.com. While you're there, check out the store page. Sign up on the mailing list. That is enough of the business. Wait, hold on. While you're there, get a good look at the Big Nick. (laughs) The extra crispy (laughs) kernel. All right, that's enough of the business. Everybody gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime.
About three weeks before Ebby disappeared, her behavior changed drastically. She would tell us she was going someplace or with someone, and we would find out that's not where she was. Ebby was provoking arguments and wanted to move out. She left and eventually ended up with my son, Trevor. A couple days before Ebby was reported missing, she went to a party. Ebby texted me on Saturday, October 24th, that she needed to speak to me about something important. She indicated that an individual at this house had sexually assaulted her and videotaped it. There were four boys at the party. She told me she was assaulted by one. Ebby was hysterical and wanted my husband to go to the police station with her. I told Ebby that I would meet her after dinner to sit tight, and I'd let her know when I was on my way. The last question I asked her was if she wanted to go file her police report, and she stated, yes, I'm certain. The next afternoon, my stepson Trevor came by. He contacted Ebby about an hour later, and she told him that she was outside his house. So Trevor went out, didn't see her, asked her where she was. She didn't know where she was, but she knew she was with her car. At that point, Trevor told me what had happened, told me that Abby sounded really messed up, disoriented. He'd never heard her sound like that before. To my knowledge, Trevor is the last person in our family to speak to Abby. I would like the four individuals that were at that party that evening with my daughter to come forward and give a formal interview with the Little Rock Police Department to either help them move forward in the investigation, clear their name, or help determine what happened to Abby. Some cases we approach the story by starting off with the main event, which may be a murder, an abduction, or a disappearance. But in this case, the events unfold in such a peculiar way, we will just roll with the chronological approach. Much of the biographical information we are about to relay comes from a series of articles in AY Magazine dedicated to this strange case. Now, the trailer you just heard was taken from the Dr. Phil show, who has done some extensive coverage on this case. Ebby Jane Stebbick was born March 31st, 1997, to Lori and Peter Stebbick. Ebby's name, which Lori laughingly says she borrowed from a church friend whose daughter's name was Evie, her unusual name signified how special and unique her mother felt her child was. Ebby's middle name is Jane which is also her mother's middle name as well. Lori hoped her little girl would embody a combination of her mother's traditional religious values and a free-spirited, one-of-a-kind persona. Ebby's family consisted of an older brother, older half-brother actually, named Trevor, and a younger sister named Harris. Lori says she and Ebby's father split when Ebby was just a first grader. Lori says that the marriage was a, quote, bad situation. But when it ended, it was still abrupt and shocking to her and her daughters. Lori went on to marry Michael Jernigan, who helped bring some stability to this broken family. Teenaged Ebby was known as Ebster to her family. She loved Hot Pockets, her dog Furball, music, the beach, and the color purple. 
When she graduated from high school, Abby wanted to go to cosmetology school and later get her real estate license. She was also interested in languages. She studied Spanish, Turkish, and Hebrew. Lori says Abby was always stubborn and independent. When she was young, she did not like her name, and she went through phases where she would insist on being called something else. Lori says Abby was a homey person. She liked to stay home. She had friends over to her house more than she would go to their homes. As she got older, she developed into a fiercely loyal person. While she was hard to get to know, her friends say that once you broke down her walls, she was selfless and generous and passionately stuck by her friends' sides. And Abby's friend Danielle Westbrook describes her as kind, loyal, loving, courageous, strong, and perseverant. One story that captures this is when her classmate, this was a boy named Caleb Boyd. He was apparently wrongfully incarcerated for having a gun on school grounds. The way that this story works is instead of turning her back on him like so many of his other friends did, right? Ebby took the lead in mobilizing students in support of Caleb. She initiated a letter-writing campaign and petitioned the court, and it worked, getting Caleb released. Although these characteristics of Ebby's were largely positives, her mom says there were some downsides to her loyal and trusting nature. Ebby got hurt a lot because her strong feelings weren't always returned. In her early high school years, she was bullied, and she changed schools. Switching to the Little Scholars of Arkansas Academy from another small private school. Later, Ebby's loyalty and stubbornness reared its head when her mom tried to get her to see that a few of her boyfriends and other friends were less than she deserved. As high school progressed, her independence morphed into full-blown rebelliousness. Ebby started breaking her parents' rules and hanging out with a new crowd, a group that she met at her job at Foot Locker at the McCain Mall. She had worked hard to land this job. This was the summer before her senior year. Abby spent most of her money on makeup and clothes, and she started to work more and more to be around these other kids her parents didn't know. Things were exacerbated by the car that Abby got from her father, Peter. Lori said it gave her daughter the feeling that she could go wherever she wanted to, whenever she wanted to. Right, that's a typical feeling for teens. Hey, I got a car. I'm out of here, man. Mm-hmm. Uh, Abby, who was a very pretty girl, five foot two, 110 pounds with blonde hair and hazel eyes, she is acting out in ways her parents do not like, did not like. And we all know this is, we don't mean to give Abby a bad name. This is a phase most kids go through. A lot of kids go through. They want to not be around their parents, not listen to their parents, mm. and they're hanging out with these these other people that her parents are calling kids. But let's keep in mind, these are people that she's working with. So as we go through this, we are uncertain, and the captain and I talked about this last week, we are uncertain if these are, in fact, actually kids right. because it's a job. So at the youngest, we're probably looking at, what, 17 or 18, but very likely 19, 20, maybe even 21-year-old 
young adults. Now, Abby, as we said, she's acting out. She's lying to her parents, you know, not going where she says she's going, hanging out with people that she says she will not hang out with. She and her mom and stepdad continued to butt heads and things escalated. Abby would periodically storm out to stay at her friend's home at Danielle's home, but would always return home the next day. Now, when Abby started her senior year in the fall of 2015, she made a decision that her mother would not support. She switched schools. This was from the Lisa Academy to Little Rock Central High, which is a very big school. She went from a small school to a very large school. This was a major change for Abby, who had been in a sheltered private school her whole life. Sure enough, new kids she was hanging out with introduced her to marijuana. Her parents did not approve, and in a heated argument in September, Abby and her mom agreed that she should move out. Lori was determined to stand firm. Her house, her rules, and if Abby moved out, she couldn't come back. Lori agreed to pay for certain things, but Abby would largely be on her own, and she would have to work. Quite a bit of this situation reminds us of Brianna Maitland. The case we covered, episode 254 and 255. Brianna switched schools as well. And remember, she started hanging out with the wrong crowd. Right. Eventually moving out of her parents' house. And working a lot. Vanishing in 2004 and unfortunately not seen since. Abby didn't have much of a plan. In fact, she rotated between houses quite a bit. She crashed at her older brother Trevor's home. She stayed with her biological father, Peter. And with a friend, Kaylee Foley. So she's bouncing around from all of these three homes for a time. And Lori and Michael begin receiving calls from Central High. Abby was missing school. They decided not to confront her about this. She is still in school, but technically she is an adult at this time. Right. Sometime around mid-October, Abby showed up at Danielle's place asking to stay there for a while. The two shared Danielle's room, listening to music, and they went out on long drives. But since they went to different schools, Danielle was never really sure what Ebby was doing if she was not at the home. Yeah, it seems like she had to do a lot of work to figure out where she was going to stay. So it'd be a lot more work on top of that to figure out how you're going to get from this random spot that you're staying at to school. On the morning of Wednesday, October 21st, Abby was supposed to drive Danielle to school on her way to school after Danielle's doctor's appointment. Danielle texted Abby that her appointment was running late, telling Abby to go on without her. Abby texts back, saying, no, it's not a big deal at all, I swear. I didn't want to go to school today anyway because of all that drama. Danielle does not know what drama Abby was referring to. Abby never ended up going to school that day. It's unclear how many days she missed, but she and Danielle went to services at the Assembly of God Church in Little Rock that evening. Thursday and Friday, I don't know if Abby went to school. I could not find anything that stated that she did, so we can only guess that what the drama was and if she was still avoiding school because of it. But on Friday night, October 23rd, we do know that Ebby went to a party. Danielle did not go with her because she did not know 
the other people attending this party. Right. We don't know if these were kids from Central High School or people that Abby was working with at Foot Locker or others, but it was some group that she was hanging out with at this time. This will be easy to understand why we don't know who this is in just a quick bit. On Saturday, October 24th, Abby told Danielle that her brother Trevor was worried because she hadn't been to his place all week long, so she needed to go over there and see him. The friends agreed to see each other on Sunday at the church ice cream social. So Abby went to her brother Trevor's place, and then she went to her grandparents' house. This is Peggy and Bill Holman. Abby was close with them and loved staying at their house. Abby spent the day sleeping and watching her favorite show, SpongeBob. She had dinner with her grandparents, and they went out for TCBY around 7 p.m. And around 8 p.m., she's going to be leaving her grandparents, telling them that she's going to go hang out with her stepfather. She tells her grandparents that she does plan to return to their home for that night and asking them not to lock the doors. The Holmans never saw her again, and when they tried calling her later that evening before going to bed, there was no answer. It turns out that that same night around 7.50 p.m., Abby had begun texting her stepfather that she wanted him to bring her to the police station so she could report an incident that happened at the party the night before. She told him that she was the victim of a sexual assault and four males were involved. One guy had sexually assaulted her and he also videotaped the whole event. It's unclear what the role of the other three boys was, but it was implied that they were also complicit somehow. Ebby's story is backed up by some text that she sent on the morning of Saturday, October 24th. This is to a friend named Gage Fulton. Here's the conversation that Gage later had with Monty Vickers, a private investigator on the case, describing the text between him and Ebby. He says, Ebby says, I was hanging out with some dudes last night and we smoked and I had sex with one of them and he effing recorded me. Mm -hmm. She says this was when she wasn't looking. Vickers asked Gage, did she tell you that she was raped? To which Gage replies, says she said she felt forced into it. Her last text message to me is saying, I am going to kill myself. Well, it seems like they were drinking at this party. Possibly these guys are older. We don't know. Uh, I think we both kind of assume that, that that these are probably more likely people from Foot Locker than her high school. Yeah, or friends of Foot Locker friends. Yeah, so it seems to me that maybe she felt pressured or, or whatever. But anyway, she ends up having sex with this individual. Then he tapes it or films it without her knowledge. Right. And he's probably sharing this with the other guys at the party. And that's probably why she is saying that they're involved in some way. Yeah, and and we say the word sex, but we're using that very vaguely. Well, those are also her words. Yeah, but but we have her telling Gage that she said she felt forced into it. Now, we do know that Ebby did not kill herself. Instead, she began texting her stepfather while he was eating dinner that night. 
Abby requested that Michael not tell her mother. She had already called the police, but didn't feel that she had received any good advice on what to do. Right. So Abby felt it would be better if she went to the police station in person. And she wanted her stepfather to go with her. The two agreed to meet around 8 p.m. at the Holman's and head down to the station together. But we do know that Ebby left the Holman's house before Michael arrived, and the grandparents told Michael that they were under the impression that she had gone to meet him. She was never seen again. Now, Michael fears that she may have decided to try to confront one of the boys or all of the boys at the party about this incident by herself. Right. And he says probably to try to get a hold of the video. According to Lori, Ebby's cell phone records indicate that Ebby made two calls to the Little Rock Police Department that night around 7.30 p.m. And each only lasted about a minute. But the Little Rock Police Department has said they have no record of those calls. Okay. Right. Right. So the... the but, uh, but Ebby's mom does, so we right, know that right. they happened, right? Ebby's phone records also show that she continued to open and read text messages until the night of Sunday, October 25th. Unfortunately. Wait, 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 wait. Say that again. Well, the phone records show that, and I, I have here in my notes that she, indicating Ebby, but mm-hmm. I think what we should be clear on is, we don't know who was opening right, and reading text yes. messages, but somebody Amen. was until Sunday of October 25th. Right. It's clear to me that, that we have Lori, her mother believes it to be Abby, but as, as we just so. stated, we don't no, know for uh, sure. No, I think what happened is she goes missing and somebody is going through her phone to try to clear some evidence. I think that's what it is. Well, and nobody knows where she spent that Saturday night. Right. I mean, she could already be in danger, as you just said. Now, the family started to be worried when no one heard from her by the next morning. Right. We got to keep some things in mind here. There's a lot going on, and there's a lot going on in this phase of Ebby's life. As we already stated, she's not always honest about where she is, who she's hanging out with, and there were times even before moving out that she would leave in, a, in an argument and go stay somewhere and then come back the next morning. Well, and the difficult thing is that she is 18, so technically she doesn't have to be honest about where she's going. Yeah, so you have like really mixed emotions and thoughts and feelings by her family right now where she didn't show up to meet her stepdad. She tells her grandparents that she left to see the stepdad. He shows up at their door and they're like, what are you doing here? Right. Uh, but at the same time, you you got these concerns, but you also have a history of somebody running out for the night right. and not being where they're supposed to be. They say that they tried calling and texting Ebby, and all of those texts were, it's according to her phone records, state that they were read by somebody. Mm-hmm. They weren't responded to. Finally, around 5.30 p.m. on Sunday the 25th, Ebby's brother, Trevor, got a phone call from her. She did not sound like herself. He said she sounded panicked and disoriented. Abby told him that she was in her car parked outside of his house. So he hangs up the phone. He goes outside to meet her, but she is not there. There's no sign of her 
or her car. Mm -hmm. He calls her back and asks, you know, where are you? She said she was in her car, but did not know where she was. And she could not tell him who she was with. The last thing she said was, I'm fucked up. After four minutes of back and forth with Ebby not making any sense at all and not giving him any information, she hung up the phone and no one has ever heard from her again. Her phone started going to voicemail. On Sunday night when Ebby hadn't turned up at her grandparents' home and after that worrisome phone conversation with Trevor, her family started actively looking for her, searching the neighborhood and calling around to her friends. Ebby's sister texted Danielle asking if Ebby was at her place. Danielle, who was at the ice cream social, said she had planned to attend with Ebby. Right, but obviously Ebby's not there. Correct. And now Danielle is joining in the hunt as well. She starts calling and texting Ebby's phone. She starts calling other friends to see if anyone knew where she could be. When she got no response from Ebby, Danielle started driving around looking for Ebby in places she knew her friend would frequent. Mm -hmm. But all of this effort, nobody would find anything. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Everyone is still talking about Monopoly Go for a good reason. It is an absolute hit. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Like countless crazy tournaments, you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Or timed events, offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums. Delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches. Unique playing pieces and so much more. The verdict is in. With Monopoly Go, there's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now free on the App Store and Google Play. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL Learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, 
Thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com slash garage. Visit IXL.com slash garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com slash garage today. The best part of spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. It's kind of like when you find out that you've been paying a fortune for wireless. When Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch. Mint Mobile. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. Save a lot of money with Mint Mobile. Get their great mobile wireless service delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. That's premium service at a great price. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash TCG. That's mintmobile.com slash TCG. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash TCG. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's No Prep, No Mess Meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious from breakfast to dessert. Stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem and it's called lunch. Some days I need to pack a lunch and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code truecrimegarage50 at factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. 
All right, we're back. Cheers, mates. We are back. After that strange phone call, Ebby's mm-hmm. brother called the police to report her missing, but he received the typical runaround that we've seen in so many other cases. It's all. It almost seems just in in a, in a terrible way. It almost seems funny to even say it because we've repeated it so many times right. throughout these different cases. Now, this one is a little different. This response is a little different than we've heard in the past, and maybe it's some form of progress. I don't know, Captain. You be the the, the decider there, but she, he's told that they need to wait 12 hours before filing a report. Nope. There, There's no... There's nothing. It's no. a little bit of a shorter time period. Most of the time we hear... Less of a piece 24, of shit. Yeah. we've heard 36 hours. Here they want 12. So, Lori... Her mother says the second that the clock hit the 12-hour mark, she called the police. She called back to the Little Rock Police Department. Right. A police officer came to the house on Monday to speak with the family and fill out a missing persons report. But the Little Rock Police Department did not seem too interested in the missing persons case. They seemed to give Lori's concern about her daughter very little weight and took a perfunctory report without much follow-up at all yeah now in the cops defense i i really want to know how many times do they get calls where they're getting call backs within minutes hey we can't find my son can't find my daughter and then five minutes later they're going up oh, sorry we found him well we do know that that is the case most of the time mm-hmm. and the other thing too Look, we'll go down this road because you you started us down the road. In this particular situation, I can kind of see it from that perspective of, oh, we just have some people that are overreacting and they want to file a report, but yet the person that they're trying to report missing, they've already told me she's hanging out with the wrong crowd. She leaves and doesn't come home some nights. She's an adult. She's She's an adult. She's living elsewhere, and we don't really know where she's living. So I, 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 the, the, <laughs> go ahead. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, the thing that I always drives me nuts though, is when they go, well, they're an adult and they have the right to go missing. And I would just say that, that uh, look, I understand people have the right to go missing, but the person that is, you know, the person that has the right to go missing that normally goes missing, there probably is some conflict with the family, so the family is not going to be calling for a while. Right. You know what I mean? But when a family is calling going, hey, uh, we can't find our son or daughter, and the cops go, well, they're adult, they have the right. Yeah, we know that they have the right, but this is out of character. And, and, and I think the cops need to take that more serious. It's out of character, and then here's the other thing, too, that, that yes, and I'm going to be my own devil's advocate here, where I say that I understand this from the cop's perspective where they're saying, here's this, this 18-year-old who doesn't come home some nights, lives elsewhere, couch surfing, basically. Right. But then here's the other, time, the other thing you've got to consider. That's all been going on for a while, and they've never called the police before. Right. So very likely, this is very different than any of those other times, and and maybe they are not overreacting at all. Maybe they are reacting appropriately, and we need to step in and get involved in this thing. Well, again, this is also 
in a day and age where we're very connected. Mm-hmm. So if you're not getting a hold of somebody, it, it becomes spooky pretty quickly. Now, to put it in its shortest form possible, the Jernigans did not feel that the police were treating their missing daughter's case with an appropriate sense of urgency. On October 30th, the Little Rock Police Department, this is Lieutenant Steve McCallahan, he's the media spokesperson for the police department. He told the media that there was no immediate danger in Ebby's case and she was likely missing because she wanted to be. Then, Little Rock's Channel 7 News reported that police found surveillance footage showing Ebby's car traveling on Cantrell Road in West Little Rock, sometime shortly after she went missing. While this report aired at the end of the week when Ebby disappeared, there was no indication of when the footage of the car had been taken. Right. So it's on TV, but we don't know exactly when that footage was taken. It turned out it was most likely sometime that weekend, the crucial time period in which Ebby did vanish. Shalomont Park is a neighborhood park. There's a pool there and a playground. It's maintained and operated by the large Chanel Valley Homeowners Association. A sign at the entrance of the park reads, Private for Residents Only. It is in a very upscale area of West Little Rock, near Joe Robinson High School, another large high school in the city, on Route 10. In order to get to the private neighborhood park, drivers have to take one of two access roads. One of these is Chalamont Drive, which becomes Northfield Drive and takes drivers out to Chanel Parkway by the Walmart Supercenter. The other way takes drivers on Chalamont Drive to Cantrell Road, which is Route 10. A security guard named Guy Hooper, who was employed by the Neighborhood Association to patrol the park, he called the Little Rock Police Department on the night of October 28th. He was calling to report an abandoned vehicle parked in the parking lot of the park. Police took a report, but didn't make it over to the park until October 30th, two days later. Wow. So I, I want you to keep in mind how this whole thing went down. This, this man, Guy Hooper, he's a security officer, he calls in this abandoned vehicle, and then he waits for police for a couple of hours. And they don't show up. They don't respond the entire time, to which he's like, all right, I'll be back again tomorrow to patrol again. Right. I believe he actually called the following day as well, and then again waited another hour or two. But as said, it was two days later before anyone showed up to take a look at this vehicle. Well, and just to go back to the the whole, we we don't believe that she's in danger. We think that she went missing on her own. Like, we have a couple points of evidence to make them believe not that. One, she's basically saying that there was a sexual assault that happened to me, and I want to report it. I called your police station multiple times. I'm making arrangements to go down there, so we should take that serious. And then the remarks that she made to her friend saying, well, I'll kill myself. Now, maybe that is just, you know, it was just a figure of speech, and it wasn't something that she was actually going to do. But just that in itself means that she's in possibly in danger of harming herself. 
Mm-hmm. And so we should take this more serious. It seems just like a load of horse shit. Well, once they finally went down there to investigate this abandoned vehicle, what they found was Ebby's silver 2003 Volkswagen Passat, Arkansas plate 137 UFM, parked in the parking lot. And it had been there since the night of October 25th. This is according to the security officer. Okay, so the 25th, that's the Sunday? That's the same night that, that she spoke with Trevor on the phone. Yes, that Sunday. Okay. The car keys were still in the ignition. The vehicle was out of gas and the battery was dead. Even more disturbing were the contents of the vehicle, which included her contact lenses, her wallet, and her cell phone, all of which were sitting on the front seat. Now, really, truly what they find there, keep in mind, she's moving around from house to house at that time, staying a little bit with her brother, a little bit with her biological father, and then a friend or two. They're going to find not only just these items, but they're going to find basically all of her possessions that travel along with her from house to house in this car. Yeah, her car becomes basically her storage unit. Yeah. Now, these items are of importance because Lori later said that Abby couldn't see without her contacts and she would never, ever not take her phone somewhere with her. She, Lori says this was Abby's lifeline to her family. And now keep in mind, Most she's teenagers. not living with, yeah, yeah. she's not living with her family, but she's still close with them. Mm-hmm. And the fact that all of Abby's makeup was still sitting in the vehicle as well, that Lori says was the clincher for her. She immediately knew that something was wrong. Something bad had happened. Now let's take our own little investigation into this vehicle too, captain. What did we say here? We got the the car keys still in the ignition. Bad sign. We got the automobile out of gas and the battery was dead. That to me suggests that somebody left the vehicle running right in that parking spot. And we do know that it was there since that, what did we say, Sunday the 25th? Mm-hmm. And they're not there looking at it until October 30th? That's it. I get abandoned vehicles. I don't get having these types of possessions being found inside the vehicle in plain sight. One, two, vehicle out of gas and the battery's dead, keys in it. Somebody left that vehicle running. This is very strange stuff. Yeah. Now, upon finding the car, Little Rock police called Ebby's father, Peter. This is her biological father. His name is on the car registration. It was he who notified his ex-wife, Lori, that Ebby's car had turned up. Mm-hmm. Police apparently failed to notice that the name of a missing young woman was also on that registration. And her license was in the vehicle. While they were searching the car, they left the trunk open. Oh, it makes you wonder, did they fail to notice this or are they choosing, you know, because they're, they're choosing not to look for somebody that we know that possibly is in danger or we know they're choosing not to show up and, and take this report. We know they're choosing not to go investigate this car for two days. It's ridiculous. Well, and keep in mind a couple things. If the security officer had called multiple times to report an abandoned vehicle, the responding officer does not know 
I mean, they may know that somebody is missing or has right, been, right, right, right. but but very likely not. Because like we said, the, the missing persons report is filed. It's probably handed off to a detective by then. And if they are not showing an actual concern for this missing individual, the responding officer to this abandoned vehicle can't put two and two together. Right. Because he doesn't have enough information to do so. Mm-hmm. So it's not until he calls the father that's on the registration Father calls mom. Hey, they found her vehicle. They're, it's going to take Ebby's family to bring it back around to police and say, look, our daughter is missing and now you've found her vehicle. Yeah, with all our stuff in it. Right. I mean, look, we all know that teenagers are connected to their phones. That to, that to me is a huge red flag. And again, like you said, the battery being dead, no gas, and the keys in the ignition. Mm-hmm. While they were searching the car... The officers left the trunk open and a rainstorm soaked many of Ebby's belongings. Channel 7 News reported that there appeared to be no sign of a struggle inside or outside of the vehicle and it was found abandoned. Since Ebby's disappearance, her mother has worked nonstop to keep her daughter's case in the public eye and in the active case files on detectives' desk. But it hasn't been easy. In fact, at times it has been almost impossible. This is because the people who were supposed to help her and help her family, who made a pledge to protect and serve, they failed on this investigation for months. The Jernigan family says that Ebby's car was the subject of phone calls to the Little Rock Police Department, not only from Guy Hooper, but several neighbors in the area who called about the car that week, well before police officers finally acted on the tip. If the department had not ignored these calls, the trail would have been a lot fresher. And even after they finally pieced together that the car and the missing young woman were connected, the police department dropped the ball. The family got the runaround as to who was in charge of this investigation. Police never contacted people that were suspected of being at the party. Danielle or any of Ebby's other friends were not contacted. The security guard who found the vehicle was not contacted. It took them weeks to getting around to pinging Ebby's phone to see where it had been. And when they did, they initially pinged the wrong phone number. So, yeah, let me take you through this horror story. Well, I mean, let's just reiterate the fact that they op- they left the trunk open. Right. What are you, a moron? <laughs> I, I mean, come on. It's like, it, And what's the number one thing that we've seen time and time again? One of the worst things for evidence is water. Yeah. And you just leave the trunk open. Right. This is a crime scene or possibly a crime scene. Mm-hmm. And you don't know either way. So you should protect it, but you're too lazy or stupid or both or both. (laughs) I guess there's, I guess there's another option. Nobody's ever wearing a shirt that says I'm lazy and stupid. (laughs) We're going to make, we're going to make a shirt like that for those of you who are proud of yourself. Mm, So that trunk open. Here's the thing. I'm going to put my bike in it. Let me take you through this horror story this is about the pinging the her phone but it ends up being the wrong phone number all right (laughs) 
So they ping her phone, what is believed to be Ebby's phone. Yeah. And police tell her mother and stepfather, we've pinged the phone. It's, it's coming from a location out about 45 minute drive from your home. Mm-hmm. So kind of out away from the city and it's coming from a field out there. Listen to this. I mean, this is not sounding good, right? Your daughter's no, missing. You, you start the phone th- is pinging yeah. from a, a a field kind of out in the middle of the country. You start thinking that's possibly where her body is. That's where we're going to find her. Mm-hmm. But then you're going, well, how did her phone get back to the car? Right, right. And that's, I guess I'm a little unclear on that, Captain. What they're saying is that when they trace these pings around the time that she went missing, they had the phone pinging out in this other location. Now, as you said, though, that's when the parents are like, oh, my God, we might find her body out in that field. Right. And this is awful. Look, if I'm the investigator, even if I ping the wrong phone, right, Mm -hmm. even if I'm a freaking moron, Captain Moron Pants, right, and I'm pinging the wrong phone, and then I know that the phone ended up at the car before I tell anybody. I am going and searching that field myself. Or double checking the ping information. Right, but I'm starting I'm starting with I'm a dumbass, right? <laughs> I, I, I ping the wrong phone, but either way, I made a mistake, right? right? But I'm going to be a good uh, detective, good investigator, and before I tell the parents and freak them the freak out, mm-hmm. I am going to go check that field. And then I'm going to present the information. But my maybe by checking the field and finding nothing, mm-hmm. I would then double check, did I get the number right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're looking for ping information that would have taken place around the time that she was trying to call her brother, that she spoke to Trevor. Right. Right? So, unfortunately, they figure out, law enforcement figures out that they were pinging the wrong number. I bet they didn't even figure that out. I bet somebody in our family figured that out. Well, they, I believe it was a couple of days before they told the family, oh, we were pinging the wrong number. (sighs) When they finally pinged the correct number, it did turn out that Ebby was, or the phone was in Shalomont Park when she did, in fact, call Trevor. Right. Now, the Little Rock Police Department also claimed to be unable to access Ebby's social media. This is a part of the story that I really, you know, we're, we're talking about things that, that law enforcement screwed up on, that they messed up on, that they dropped the ball. Right. This one is, is just a small part of the story, but truly I feel like this is where they missed the bus the most because we, we have rumor of this video that might've been on somebody's phone. We have talks and gauge coming forward saying that, I trade text messages with her. We know that she or somebody was opening and reading text messages on her phone on that Sunday. Right. So I really feel like, and especially given her age, that this social media stuff could have really helped the investigation, especially in the early stages of the investigation. What's going on here is they're telling the family, we don't know how to access these social media accounts. We do not know how to get in there 
do a little spy work and figure out what was going on, who she was talking to. Because we're too stupid. Well, and then on top of that, what would be really Mm. key here is to figure out where, in fact, she was going when she says that she was going to meet her stepfather. Because we know from the stepfather, that's not the case. He says, Mm -hmm. I was going to meet her here. And now she's gone. Right. So that could have really helped the early stages of the investigation. Why is she at the park? Well, at the very least, let's say she communicated with four or five other people after she left her grandparents' house. You need that trail of breadcrumbs. Right. You need to follow the breadcrumbs to get you from person A to person B to C and D until you get to the actual last person that spoke with her or had interaction with her. So you can figure out her location. Yeah, but I could just see the detectives the whole time on this case. All right. Well, we checked her. We checked her phone. This is the the detectives talking to the family. We checked her phone. What's her name again? Hmm. You know, what I mean, that's that's kind of the work they're doing. Where is now, she, yeah. we we saw her car. What's her name again? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, have you heard from her? Like, no, do some work here. Now, Lori did try to assist the investigators as much as she possibly could regarding her missing daughter's case. She was the one that spent the the man hours putting together Ebby's phone records. She got as much as she could from her social media accounts, and she passed all of this on to the detectives. And unfortunately, she says at one point in this investigation, when she is in there answering questions, and talking with detectives, she's saying the detective seemed proud to tell her we have, we've collected all this information. We have tons of evidence. We have all this information regarding your missing daughter. And he had it in the room with them. Right. And Lori says she looked at all of this information that he says he has and that has collected. And she says, unfortunately, this was all, Everything this guy had, she provided to him. She provided this information. So why he seemed proud to have that information makes absolutely no sense at all. Stupid or lazy. What's going on behind the scenes is the trouble of having Ebby and the family come forward stating two things. One, Ebby's intention was to meet her stepfather at some point that evening. Her family saying, the stepfather was going to meet Ebby some point that evening. Yeah. Those things are now working against Ebby's family in this investigation because now the way that they're working this investigation, they're suspicious of the stepfather. Of course. They want to know if, if in fact he was the last person to see her and what was really going on behind the scenes. They're yeah. Yeah. Basically they're basically, believing that he is the murderer. Now, mind you, they wouldn't state in the beginning that this was a real missing person's case to begin with. Now, all of a sudden they're saying, Oh, we think that she disappeared because you made her disappear. Right. And this, whatever this theory is or how they ever came up with this theory, other than knowing that he might've been the last person that she intended to, to meet with. They're now using this as a theory and they're what they're claiming when they speak with the family is you're lying to us. You're, you're, you're telling us a different story because you're trying to cover up what truly happened to your daughter. When in reality, 
what we have is a family who's trying to be actively involved in an investigation that would not be moving forward without them. Yeah, it's very difficult because we were talking about this before, I think on off the record, where I do not like the idea when detectives say, it's not my job to come up with theories. Mm-hmm. It's it's my job to collect the evidence and for the evidence to tell me what's happening. Now, now hold on a second. I understand you're saying that because you want to seem like you're smart and level-headed, but the truth of the matter is that you have to collect evidence, and along the way, you have to create different theories, multiple theories. Based off of the evidence you're seeing, yeah. Based off the evidence, but also maybe based off evidence you don't have yet, and you have to come up with multiple theories, and then you have to go down those rabbit holes and, and let the evidence tell you if it if that theory is true or not. In this case, they come up with this theory that makes zero sense, because what we have what we have evidence of is this young woman making calls to the police saying that she was sexually assaulted again i'm sick and tired of let's just look the justice system doesn't take these claims serious enough that's why she called the police department multiple times they should be saying you were sexually assaulted come down to the station now we need to take this serious. And then she's making claims to her friends. And now she's telling her stepfather. Mm-hmm. Now, again, we should take these claims serious because not only is she stepping up to the plate, which is so hard for these women to do, but she's stepping up to the plate to talk to police, the police officers and law enforcement. Mm-hmm. And that's frightening. And again, she's a young woman and it's frightening to have to tell your stepfather frightening, embarrassing, whatever words you want to use. This is not somebody that, um, you know, it's just frustrating. And Well, super frustrating for a multitude of reasons, but also frustrating in the sense that you're telling the family that we don't want to work with you because we think you're covering something up. But, but, right. but even it though his wife, like even if that is their theory, Captain, right. it doesn't appear that they were even investigating or working on building a case around that theory. They, they, they just right. weren't doing anything. And having the excuse that the stepfather is a, a suspect was just that, an excuse to not do anything, to just sit on our hands and not have to do anything. When we already know that you had this great lead of there was something that went down at that party that might have been a major ordeal and it happened very shortly before she went missing. That's a freaking lead. Yeah. Now, now I wouldn't, I wouldn't blame him so much if, if the, if, if the sexual assault charges were against the stepfather, then you go, okay, well, a to B we're looking into this guy, but that's not who the allegations were against. It was about this party and I'm surprised these morons didn't turn to the stepfather's wife, Ebby's mother, and say, collect evidence against him because you collected evidence on everything else. All right, I'm looking at my phone. I'm looking at my device. And on both, I have the very awesome Stitcher app. 
It is free. You can go out and get the Stitcher app, and we have all of our old episodes on there for free for you to listen to. Also, make sure you check out our other show called Off the Record. It is available on Stitcher Premium. Stay tuned until tomorrow. It's going to get pretty heated in the garage. Until then, be good, be kind, don't forget. you are bpm's high sweat dripping body moving tongue panting you're working hard real hard and you're thirsty you need vitamins nutrients for peak performance and energy and your plants do too Aww. i mean just look at the little guy water soluble plant food from miracle grow is full of essential nutrients just a little scoop into your watering can and boom instant feeding and bigger more beautiful plants it's kind of like a sports drink for your plants you may have to suffer from heat but your plants do not 